It's much easier if the CEO is going from deal to deal to deal, but there is a limit for that, and we're on our fourth investor in nine years, so I made the choice that nine years is a good period to be a CEO, therefore the next person can come in and be successful for the next nine, ten years. But yeah, it has to be managed properly and has to be talked through carefully. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Pep Talks podcast. In this episode, Sam and I welcome David Brennan back to the podcast to discuss his continuing journey with Nexus Vehicle Rentals, the UK's largest vehicle rental supply network. David is now Executive Chair of Nexus, having served as CEO for nine years and steering the business through three private equity transactions. We discuss driving organic growth through effective sales and marketing, developing your management team, and his recent experience with finding a successor to the CEO role. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pep Talks podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Pep Talks podcast. We're in Leeds at the moment, leading into a CEO dinner. I'm here with the usual voice of Sam Smith, Pep Talks MD. Hello, Sam. Hey, Richard. And David Brennan, CEO and turn exec chair of Nexus Vehicle Rentals. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. There's a few things you want to talk about today. I guess starting off firstly with your growth journey in that business. Can you walk yeah. us through yeah. how that looked? Yeah, so we, we are on our fourth uh, private equity investor. I'm not sure what the phrase for is. Quite a quaternary or something. Quaternary or something that you can't pronounce. <laughs> um, so yes, we started off with Living Bridge, our first investor. Uh, business was making about two and a half million pounds profit, grew mm -hmm. to five, then we sold to Beaumont. Business then grew from five to 10 million profits. Then we moved on to our third investor, Phoenix. And then most recently we moved into Equistone in January this year. And business today makes about 20 million pounds profits. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's got a lot bigger in the nine years since I've uh, since I've been there. Did you have that vision for the end goal in nine years, no, or was that like no, a progression no, at the time? I, no, I didn't know it would grow in that way. Yeah. When I started, I was trying to to understand how private equity worked, try to understand how to grow the business, mm -hmm. uh, what's the strategy, what's the best way to drive the multiple, what's the best way to drive revenue and profits, um, and then as we progress through the different PE investors. We've learnt our sweet spot, we've learnt how to drive a sales and marketing machine that's very effective, and we've learnt how to outperform in our market to make sure we deliver a great product for our clients. Sure. So, um, I think you're, you're our podcast number one. Oh dear. Now 54 <laughs> podcasts later, so it's good, okay. to, good to come back good. to you and our listeners may want, to, may want to backtrack and listen to that first podcast, but I think we did that. Uh, I think we did that just as you went into Phoenix ownership. Um, but what always struck us was the fact, okay, you did one, you did a small amount of M&A, but largely you've really driven value creation through organic sales, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And it's a value creation lever, value, um, organic sales is just about the most valuable mm. value creation lever you can pull, so it don't cost anything to get it right. Yeah. Well, they cost you a headcount, but you know they're not costing you a transaction uh, investment and fee. So, I think people would be really interested to understand how you did that, or how you how you went about repositioning the business, because that's what you did first, mm. wasn't it? And mm. then really accelerating organic sales growth. 
I think we learnt um, iteratively the best approach to sales and marketing. So we started off selling to lots of SME customers. Um, what we learned from that was that they weren't very sticky, they didn't stay very long, they were very price curious. Um, and over time we moved into medium and large accounts where the customers would stay longer, um, they were more stable in terms of revenue, and we've carried on winning bigger and bigger accounts. And, and all the way through we've learned you know, a number of things. So how, how do you find the right customers, what is your sweet spot? How do you run the sales team um, with the right metrics? So how, how do you provide the right incentive schemes so that salespeople want to work really hard? How do you track the right data? So if you look at your marketplace, you know who are your prospects? Do you know all your prospects? Do you know who their supplier is? Do you know when they're coming up for tender next? Yeah. Do you know who the person is? So we built all that data over time and then we make sure that we're very, very detailed in the way that we manage the sales team and the sales function so that we go after the deals we want to win um, and then we make sure that we deliver on those bids and tenders and then actually win, win those clients. So it's been iterative. It wasn't, uh, we didn't sit back on day one and work out the grand master plan for nine years. No. We learnt you know, which segments, which approach, um, how to pitch, how to recruit the right people who are a good cultural fit, mm. um, so that you end up winning more and more accounts and you then keep the ones that you've won. Mm -hmm. So we have a very um, high retention rate, you know, late 90% uh, retention rate, which means that as we um, win clients, we keep the ones we've got and then we add more and more clients on top. So today we're still around about 10% share of the UK B2B rental markets so are still huge headroom for growth, hence the most recent uh, private equity transaction. But we've learned all those things as we go along. And some things you just don't get right, but, but it is about learning and being curious and working out what's the best way to run that sales and marketing function. Is there anyone else in your market? No, there still isn't anybody in that, um, what we see, technology B2B vehicle rental brokerage market. Um, nobody else has come in. Um, you know, we, we've looked to see if there's anybody else, but we, we are still the only so you, one. So you're connecting your, I'm going to call them corporate customers, through your platform to the vehicle rental suppliers. Yeah. And in doing so, you're saving them cost on their fleet and managing their fleet. So yeah. you're actually solving a problem for a customer, aren't you, for a yeah. client? Yeah. Which, and you're providing a solution that wasn't really readily available in the market prior to your platform. Yes, prior to the platform existing, a customer would ring a number of suppliers to find a vehicle. And our technology means that a customer doesn't do anything, they just log onto the system and the system checks 250 suppliers now and finds the vehicle that they want, and then automatically that vehicle then gets delivered, billed, and when it's finished, it comes off rent, and then they get invoiced and the transaction's finished. So we take away the pain of the time, the effort, the searching of ringing one after the other after the other. And by building the supply chain in parallel to the, the growth of the customer base, we've now got the biggest supply chain in the country, probably five times the size of the biggest individual supplier. Um, so we don't own any assets, it's a pure technology aggregation play and as the business has grown we've added more and more categories, so cars and vans and trucks and most recently plant tire and equipment is our newest category, um, so yeah. And you, 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 you supplying 
those categories to the same customers or you're also going out to a new customer pool with a new service proposition like um, it, they're all the, yeah all the clients are b2b there are specific segments where there is more vehicle rental demand typically where there are projects or where the customer totally outsources this particular spend to the market so we've worked out which segments have got the most demand and then we've gone after winning clients in those segments and then we've tried to add more and more products for those customers so they don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. So that one-stop shop approach really works really, really well. Sounds like the business has changed quite a lot since you joined. It was almost in a constant state of re-evaluation in, in your approach to growth. Did, did that get harder for you the longer you were in the business? I can imagine it's maybe a bit more difficult to find those spots when you've been in the business for a while as opposed to maybe coming in with... Yeah, I think you learn all the way through because the approach, for example, pre-COVID, post-COVID, working through the supplier shortages that we've all been working through and are still working through, the approach to sales and marketing has had to move all the way through in each of those cases. So, so it hasn't become harder, it's become necessary to be really focused on what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So right now, we are in a market where there is still short supply. So I've got more demand than I've got supply. Mm-hmm. So therefore we're allocating supply to the to, to a selection of customers in the correct way and trying to motivate and retain all of our clients waiting for supply to come back to normal, which mm-hmm. it should do in the next 12 to 18 months. If I go back three years ago, there was a complete um, surplus of supply of every asset everywhere in the country. And then it's much more about price and speed. Right now, it's about saying to customers, if you give us enough time, we'll find you the vehicle in the right location, but it's about us communicating better together to find the vehicles at the right time to fulfill the demand. Sure. It's interesting because obviously a lot of the time we talk about PE, you're planning as far ahead as you possibly can, but then there's always going to be something that just completely wipes out that plan. You have to be reactive to yeah everything external essentially yeah well going through covid we've all learned that you have to be very nimble so your business can be open closed your supply chain open closed or your supply chain has half of what you want or none of what you want and working through that and changing your proposition where you can to make sure you still keep your customers happy is what we've all had to try and do Mm -hmm. i think when you arrived i've known you for a long time so i know i know what your story on, on arrival in the business, but when you, when you got there, um, you actually had to spend some time working out what you were gonna do with the business, didn't you? It wasn't, yeah. you didn't walk into this, it wasn't a sort of straightforward, okay, you're this massive addressable market to go for, there's no competition, and you just need to, need to sort of harness and develop an amazing organic sales team. That wasn't the case, was it? You had to reposition it. Yeah, well, at the beginning, we weren't clear what the best way was to position Nexus. So we had two different businesses. One was a technology platform, that was very, very small, which is the platform we have today. Another was a business that was owning assets, which we were renting out to a very small niche in the market. Um, and we were trying to work out with this skill set where you've got buyers and sellers, what's the best marketplace to be in? Because effectively we could, we could rent out anything on our platform. We, we happen to rent out cars and vans and trucks now, but it could have been people or pieces of equipment. So we've worked through a process of a strategic review, choosing what we're gonna be great at, Yes, we've sold the division now that had the vehicles, the physical vehicles, that's now gone. We now have one clear focus on technology and one clear marketplace, which is B2B vehicle rental. 
um, and we're looking for how we continue to grow and operate in that market. So yeah, there was a piece of work, strategic review initially to think through, we've got two managing directors, two businesses, both separate, mm -hmm. right, that doesn't make a lot of sense, what are we going, what's the best place to be? And a technology um, P back business has a much higher multiple than an asset, a pure asset owning business. Mm -hmm. Um, and the growth headroom was much better for the technology business, so that's the direction we went to. Any any little nuggets around step two and three, I guess, which is data. Sounds like you needed to understand the requirements of your addressable market and what those customers, clients were going to need and when they were going to be up for you know a, a bid, a proposal, and then secondly, developing, thirdly, developing your team to be able to go out and win yeah I think on the data front we started out with a very small part of the total market in terms of our knowledge of it and it was then trying to build the knowledge of where are all these prospects that we don't have today as customers so that's an iterative long-term process um, we went through a couple of strategic reviews with third-party consultants to think about segmentation sweet spot you know what what does differentiate our customer from other people's customers and we realized quite quickly that they were customers that, that needed vehicles for a very specific reason and often they were urgent. So if it was a very complicated vehicle in, an, in a time urgent manner in a specific location, we were the best solution for that. Right. Um, and the more complex and the harder the question was, the better we were at delivering it um, because our um, attributes as a business could stand out even more. Um, so that, that was, that was over time and then learning how to manage the sales team and how to have the right data and how to have the right incentive scheme so that it's optimized then is driven by the journey you're on so are you after the most number of customer wins are you after the most revenue are you after the most EBITDA and then when you move through a period of short supply what are the, the metrics that, that need to be managed now that could be different mm. So thinking, thinking that through, how, how do you run that through the sales machine and make that work? So we, we have moved through that in different ways over time. Um, and it, it's, it's learning and it's listening and it's adapting the business as the, as the market that you're in changes because of COVID or supply or you know, a GDP drop or government crisis or whatever the latest yeah. thing is. So we've spoken a bit about the growth journey of the business. It'd be interesting to talk a bit about the sort of people aspect throughout that time. So mm. how you developed as a CEO and also how you developed your team. Um, so I'd be interested to know initially, how did you develop your leadership style as you grew and as you went through each deal? Yeah, I, th I think um, coming into private equity nine years ago from an industry background, I knew how to run a business and create a strategy, lead a team, deal with customers, etc. But I didn't understand the private equity style of investor and, and that I've learned through mm -hmm. the period. Um, I've learned from some very clever uh, chairmen I've worked with who've given me their wisdom and their advice and when to do certain things or when not to do certain things so that's been really good. Um, and then I've had to try and build the team to deliver the correct results and, and change the team and change the structure dependent on the maturity of the business. Sure. Because as the business gets bigger and bigger there are more things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. So we had a 40 headcount business, now we've got 140 people. It's not, doesn't sound that much different, but there's more structure, there's more management, there's more control, there's more governance to, mm -hmm. to, to work through. Um, so that's had to change over time as well. So yeah, leading the people um, and working the strategy, working out the how to execute that plan, 
has taken some time to work through, but we're in, we're in a very good place sure. that now. What's been the mix of bringing people in externally, external hires versus internal development? Yeah. I mean, that's sort yeah. of senior management there. Yeah, it's a good mix now. I think you have to do both because you've got some really clever people in your business and you want them to grow and flourish and develop. But sometimes you get to the point where you realise you haven't got a particular set of skills, you need to go and find it. So we've now got a real good mixture of people uh, from within the business and from outside, and also some from outside our sector. Mm. So you know we've we've changed our approach on sale and a new business salespeople over time. They have to be within sector. No, they don't. Yes, they do. And it, you sort of go through phases of trying to work out what's the best solution. But fundamentally, it's bringing together your best people and adding to that with new people with new skills where you need it. Uh, where you think you can actually drive a better dynamic by putting the two together. Mm. In terms of the people who are being promoted up in the business internally, how did you identify who those key people were when they were sort of earlier on in their stages? What would like the key yeah. attributes you'd look to look for? Yeah, we, we did regular reviews of all of our people and tried to um, assess them and put them into a framework of you know potential high performers. Mm -hmm potential future talent, people have got a particular skill set but need to learn another skill set. So a, cl a classic assessment of your employees uh, with, with a view to try to drive and grow your workforce and, and empower and train and lead people to the right place. Mm -hmm. um, and then over time, you, you provide the opportunities that allow people to develop and then they do. Um, and as you get bigger, you need more people. So you know, e even the great 40 people we had at the beginning, we still had to hire 100 more. Sure. So there's been a big influx of new people that have come from other places that, that fit our culture. Mm -hmm. And trying to be really clear about your culture of what sort of person you're trying to hire, you, you learn that and then make sure that in your job description, your recruiting process, um, that you're finding the right sort of person that's going to fit your culture. So we want to act fast. We want to be you know people that take risks, but, but they're measured risks. Mm -hmm people that are passionate about service, people who get things done, and you, find, you start to find those people, sure. and then once you found them, it starts to become pretty obvious what sort of person you're trying to hire. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing gets a bit easier over time. Okay. In terms of um, if you're hiring externally into an exec position, did you feel as if you needed to look for someone from a PE background with PE experience? Uh, it depends on the role, mm -hmm. I think, and it depends on what you're trying to achieve. So somebody that understands the private equity landscape, there's a big positive about that. Um, but sometimes very talented people have worked somewhere else. They don't, they don't know private equity and mm -hmm. they can learn the private equity side of it. So yeah. we've got a mixture of people with PE and non-PE background and both are successful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very much about the particular role you're thinking of. Sure. I guess it also depends on what their role is going to be at exit as well. Potentially yeah. they're just a person you need to be in the business. Yeah, keeping it rolling whilst whilst you're out looking for a deal. Yeah, you've got if you've got a classic five year period, you're thinking about what do I need today, but you're also trying to foresee what's going to happen over the five year period, and where those people will end up after five years, mm -hmm. and making sure that you're running the correct succession process. Sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, you're right. How uh, you've been there for nine years? How many how how many of the rep, the, the how many of the management team have also been there for nine years? Uh, until the last couple of years, most of the management team have been yeah. consistent. We, we've only recently started to do more active succession planning and, and people have started to move on to other careers outside and we then brought some new talent in. 
Um, so yeah, the board, the board has changed, um, but we've also spent a lot of time working out below the exec board level, building the management board group up. Mm -hmm. So how do you empower a team of people to run the business day to day so it's not two or three people in the exec doing that? Yeah. And that's where we've been really successful the last two years is empowering that group, setting it up, giving them clear parameters so that they run the business day to day and they seek help where they, where they need it but are left, left alone to get on with things. And that's worked really, really well. Is it fair to say, had you not done that, Perhaps you might have run out of energy as an exec team. I mean, I nine think, yeah, years is yeah. a long time. Yeah, isn't it? it's a long. It feels like it sounds a long time when you say nine years. But but when you've gone through four different investors and you've been through three sales, mm. and you made an acquisition and you've been through COVID, you know, we've had a lot going on. But I mean, just in terms of like the pace, you know, they're just sustaining that level of yeah. effort for nine years. Not you know. Yeah, not so much the journey, but just the, the intensity of of nine years of effort. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think we've not seen any particular people get burnt out or struggle with it, but you have to be careful that the energy's still there. Yeah, that all the people in the key roles have still got the energy and the passion to make it happen because it is hard work. You know, you you work in long hours. You've got high demands, high targets, high expectations. Um, and therefore people have to be up for it. Mm. Um, but we, we've, we've got a great team, we've had a great team, we've only seen a few people move on over time, but uh, the vast majority of the team is still the same team. And a lot of them have moved into different jobs. You know, they've, they've changed roles, functions, got promoted. Um, so for example, our finance director came in a few years ago from ASDA. You know, he's, he's delivered a particular role, got promoted last year, he's now the finance director. You know, he didn't understand PE and now now does and, and, and has learned a lot. So yeah. And that and that brings new energy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, new people bring new energy. But and but I suppose because we have added had added in about a hundred people, energy's always coming in. Yeah. Because you're always add as you're growing, you need more people and they bring an energy and dynamism to it, which is great. Uh, without energy you don't get performance. But energy isn't just, you know, how you show up and you're sort of bubbly and enthusiastic and you're, you're full of energy. It's actually sort of organisational energy. The organisation is operating and delivering, you know, at a pace, at a certain intensity. And I suppose to achieve that, you need a, you need a sort of concoction of, of ingredients. But I mean, growth is essential, but also, I guess, passion and enthusiasm for what you're trying to do if people yeah. want to work really hard yeah. they've got to love it no. yeah they've got to you know to be on the bus going really quickly you've got to enjoy it you've got to really want to do what you're doing uh, and if you get the organisation right the structure right and what people are doing so do they understand their tasks how those tasks create value how that value leads to EV growth how they then benefit as equity shareholders you, you have to map all that out so it's clear and then everybody understands the plan and once you get to that point where your top 15, 20 people are in the equity, they understand the plan, the whole thing is well structured. Mm. It's like a decent football team. Everyone knows their role. The leader has given the tactics. Everyone knows their position on the pitch. You then go out and play properly. Um, and it's the same in our business. It's getting everybody on the pitch in the right position, knowing what they're supposed to do to deliver success and then showing them every time you're winning what did you do? How did you do it? Right, let's repeat that. If we didn't get it right, let's learn from it. So 
again, that's that's very iterative. But um, yeah, yeah, it's good. So you've just done another exit. We, that was just before Christmas, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we signed on the 23rd of December and then did the banking um, a couple of weeks, finished the banking two weeks later. You should always sign a deal just before a holiday period, anyway. <laughs> It's the best way. Yeah. You need to go to the beach and rest or go skiing or something. You do need to decompress afterwards. It's a busy time. So what, tell us, you've gone from Phoenix to... To Equistone. Equistone uh, are our new partners. Um, we are three months into the new relationship. Uh, we've had our first strategy day. Um, I've just hired a new CEO who starts next week. So yeah, we're, we're in a good place. That's very interesting. So Richard introduced you as exec chair. Uh, so you've gone through a transition. You've, you've yeah. thought very carefully about, right, what's my position here and what, what am I gonna do next? Tell us, yeah. tell us how you approach Yeah, that. so about a year ago, I started the transition process. We started looking for a new um, CEO. I've looked after the exec chair role and the CEO role for that period of time. Uh, we've been really careful about our recruitment process to find the right person and he starts next week. Um, and yeah, so I, I've gone through that transition to make sure that the business is working properly and we found the right sort of person. Um, and that our new private equity owner has been involved in that recruitment process and has met the candidates and therefore been supportive of the final, um, the final CEO choice. Fantastic. Was that a difficult call to sort of say a year, 18 months ago, we put my um, hand up and say, well, actually, I'm it, not sure if I want to be the CEO all the way through the next turn. I, I think you have to be honest and look at the next five-year period and say, do I see myself as CEO for the next five years and therefore running the exit process and talking to the next investor about the next five years. And if you don't, or if you don't want to do that, you have to then make sure you, you set the right structure and succession planning conversations up, um, both with your current investor and with your next investor, because it's a sensitive topic. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's much easier if the CEO is going from deal to deal to deal but there is a limit for that, and we're on our fourth investor in nine years, so I made the choice that nine years is a good period to be a CEO, therefore the next person can come in and be successful for the next nine, ten years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it has to be managed properly and has to be talked through carefully. How did you approach the conversation first um, time with Phoenix? So, for, so with Phoenix, we, we had a very open conversation, and to be honest, we've talked about succession planning from the start of their deal in July 2018. Um, and said, look, this team will do this for the next five years, but maybe after that, we'll then start to need to make some changes. So from the beginning, we were very open. And then as we went through the five-year period, it was then working out when to make the changes, how to make the changes, how to communicate the changes. Um, and Phoenix were very supportive in that, that set of conversations. Mm -hmm. So you, you kicked off a search process. Uh, how long ago did you do uh, August last year. Was that quite a tricky balance? Because I, I, I guess if you're going through yeah. an exit, you, did, you could well have been exiting to trade and there may not yeah. have been a job. Yeah, so the, the process was set up so that we ran the sale process and then dependent upon the outcome, we had some flexibility. So we got down to a short list, we did the sale, and then once we knew the sale was going to PE, then we were able to confirm the offer to the new CEO. And clearly, if it had gone to trade and that wasn't necessary, we'd have taken a different different step. Mm -hmm. But running the process and then being flexible with the appointment date allowed us to, to get to where we are today. 
At what point did you tell your exec team you were looking for a successor? Was it was it after you told PE or? Uh, yes. Yeah. How did you manage people through that? Obviously, as you say, you've been in the business quite a long time. It's the same conversation, to be yeah. honest, in that you say, you know, I've been here eight and a half years at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself being here as CEO for the next five and a half years. And it's most likely we'll end up with a private equity investor. So therefore, we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about who is the right person to lead the business next. Sure. But I'll still be here and, you know, move to the exec chairman mm-hmm. role was sensible. And now the new CEO can come in and I can support him to be successful. Sure. So I'm still here. I'm still an investor. I'm still passionate about the business and I can share my knowledge with mm-hmm. the new person to make sure it works. I, I guess your team were heavily involved in, in that process of hiring yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Fit, yeah. exactly. It's all about cultural fit. So sure. there's, there's a skills piece and then there's a cultural fit piece. How, how do you think the transition will work from day one when the new CEO starts? I'm guessing it's not quite so easy just to go right that's it you're answering to him now not me um well we we it was all about communication so it's saying to people i'm still here i'll come in the office you can talk to me anytime you like this person's the new ceo they will now work with you on the plan i will make sure that the plan is shaped and Mm -hmm. together we'll make sure it's successful so it's just about open communication it's not as if anybody's leaving or there's any uh, massive change it's Mm -hmm. just making sure that people understand what we've done sure. uh, and that the rhythm of the meetings and the business still run in the mm-hmm. right way. Sure. I guess it's, they're gonna, it's gonna have to become their plan, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, they're obviously on board with the plan, otherwise yeah. they wouldn't be exactly. taking the job. And exactly. I'm sure you would have been sharing that all the way yeah. through the process. Yeah. And we we'll make it sound like, easy. Yeah. That's definitely not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But it's spinning a few it, plates, it, isn't it? it? Well, it, it's just about being attentive to the right things and just focusing on the right things. So we're halfway through our financial year. Financial year ends at the end of September. We're ahead of plan. We're in a good place. The new CA can come in. For the first six months, we'll learn about the business. We'll meet customers, suppliers, mm-hmm. colleagues. And then the 2024 plan will probably be more of his and less of mine. Yeah. And then you step back a bit more? Or? Well, and then we'll just see, yeah, over time move from exec chair to non-exec chair when the time is right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but make sure that Nexus carries on being successful. We've got some big growth ambitions with Equistone to deliver, which we will. Uh, some exciting new things that we're planning to do as well. So, yeah, I want to make sure that all works. Yeah, well, it sounds like a brilliant Sounds like a, a great plan that's been very well executed mm-hmm. um, and a difficult one to get right. So what about the, the state of the market actually as you, you're going into the exit and completing the exit? And we just, we had trustonomics, trust <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of midway through there. So, you know, it must have been quite a challenging it, it was It was hard in terms of the sale process. It was a difficult time to be selling because of trustonomics or trust economics. Uh, and the state of GDP growth in the UK and uh, investor views of the UK economy. So, but we we set out. So we did all of our diligence and planning in August. We wrote the IM in September. We sent that out in September, and it was sent out with a conscious thought that the market could weaken. Mm. But we had a great story. There were very few deals in the market, so we thought our deal would stand out, which it did. And then in the week that we were presented to the banks for our debt, then Liz Trust kindly blew the economy up. 
Uh, and then some of the investor uh, types who looked at the business at that point said, well, actually, we're, we're, we're risk off now. We're, we're not going to invest in the UK. So like your business, but, but we're not the investor this time. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it shaped our process a little bit in that some of the global bidders backed away. Um, but Equistone was strong all the way through. And we've met them in the last process. We knew they're a European fund and therefore that brings another dynamic for us to explore. Um, and then our debt provider carried on being the debt provider in the new deal and they liked us as a business and it's all Fantastic. gone very well. So that's carried on. Uh, but yeah, more a more complicated sale process in the last two just because the external environment became so negative. Mm. How important do you think it was the Equistone's familiarity with with the business they understood the business and it, you know yeah how, how important is that do you think to to any process when you're when you're doing another deal with PE I think the track record of the business is really important they, they don't the buyer doesn't necessarily need to know you that well but you probably need to have been tracked by that PE firm so if you if you're not being tracked by that firm they're probably not going to bid on you yeah so you need to have been their mindsets for the last couple of years so that they, they this is something they're going to go for when it comes to market. Yeah. Um, if you get PE that comes in that's never seen the business, you send them the book and then they look at it and think, well, it's great, but to be honest, we, we weren't tracking it, so we're not a bidder. So they need a bit of knowledge and that, that did help the process. Um, and Equison have been tracking this for a period of time, which is good. Um, but the fundamentals are, what have you delivered in your business? and when you go back to the previous two IMs, what did they say? And then did you deliver what you wrote last time? So, you know, both of our previous processes, you wrote a story, this is what we're doing. And then proving you've done that then just gives more confidence to the next buyer that says, okay, well, these guys have done this before. So what they say is what they do. Mm. And that builds that trust very quickly. In terms of the actual delivery of those exits, so the three exits, um, what would you say your key learning was from each? So what happened in the first that you took into the second and what happened in the second that you took uh, into the third? Yeah, I think it, for me, it is um, picking the right advisors. Mm-hmm. So we've worked with um, some advisors in all of our deals because we've realized that, that they do a very good job. So picking the right advisors is important. Um, the correct project plan. So making sure you're very clear about what the deadlines are and the milestones and how you're going to run the process. So you run it slowly, quickly. Mm-hmm. Have you got trade, PE, IPO, infrastructure funds? So who, who are the audiences? Making sure the audiences are all warmed up as far in advance as you can yeah. in, a, in a way that's relevant because trade can take two years to warm up. PE can take four weeks if they, you know, if they want to. So it's trying to make sure that everybody's been warmed up ahead of the process and then that you run the project plan very clearly and communicate very well and that then your business trades successfully through the period. Sure. Um, and setting your team up so that the BAU carries on and is successful whilst a few of you are very busy on the project. So there's a few things we've learned after the first sale that we've then repeated in all the other processes and probably got a bit slicker at each time. Sure. Um, but all, all of those things are important. Mm-hmm. So would you say it, it got easier to do each time you did it or were they all too different to really, uh, to really say yeah. that? Yeah, I, I don't think I'd say it's easier. Yeah. I think it, you, you know what steps are mm-hmm. and you know the critical parts of the project and you know where you need to pay the most attention. Mm-hmm. 
um, and then working that through with knowledge each time gets gets easier. Sure. What's the plan for the business this time around? Is it more of the same? Or? More more growth. Uh, we've just launched a new category, which is Plantire. Uh, so it's building out that category uh, and adding. We've just now got up to today 50 suppliers in that category, which is great. So we're building up the supply chain team with um, assets that we didn't rent out before. Uh, and then look at are there any other things that we can do? We're going to put a big push into technology into the business as well, but even more into our tech, much bigger tech team, more products being delivered faster, um, which, is, which will add to our tech story. Um, and we may do a few more things as well. So yeah, we're, we've got a lot to do, but, but we're in good shape and ahead of our year one plan. Fantastic. Well, good luck. Yeah. I'm sure we don't Sometimes. need to wish you good luck. I've known you for six or seven years. It's, it's always worked, so I'm sure it'll continue to work. And congratulations, well done, amazing. No, thanks both. It's been fun, and we'll, it'll carry on being fun. Yeah. Cheers.